Mac Power Users, episode 591, HyperCard All the Way Down with Adam Angst. Welcome to Mac Power Users. I'm David Sparks and joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hey, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? I am excellent. This is WWDC Eve as we release the show. That means tomorrow we're going to get some Christmas presents to unwrap from our friends at Apple. And we were thinking about who would be a good guest to have on WWDC Eve. Why not our friend Adam Angst? Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, oh, I, I feel embarrassed we haven't had you on more often. Adam is the publisher of the longest-running newsletter in, in Macland writer of many books you know we had tanya on the show i believe you've been on the mac power users but it's been years now so so thanks for coming back yeah yeah and i must admit the whole christmas thing and christmas eve i'm like oh i don't know did i do i have to dress for it do i need the the red suit or something <laughs> yeah yeah i think that would have been nice if you showed up in a santa hat <laughs> I'm, I'm a little disappointed but you know i guess we'll get over it you you don't have video, but normally you'd see I have a a four foot tall emperor blow up emperor penguin behind me, and at Christmas he does in fact wear a Santa hat. So if you'd gotten me, you know, at the right time of year, I would have been able to pull one off and and show it to you. Yeah, I mean, one thing <laughs> is as we can make continue making these podcasts, we our hair at least continues to look more and more like Santa's. So. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was I, I once uh, ran a race with some friends who were in their also in their fifties, and uh, it was self. We took a selfie, and um, my friend showed it to his his daughter, who was I don't know fifteen or something like that. And she's like, "Is Adam the one with the Santa hair?" And I'm like, "No, I did not need to know that." <laughs> yeah, that's that's some rough feedback. <laughs> it is true though. Uh, WWDC for me is like the moment of peak optimism every year for Apple because I, you know, you get in that reality distortion field. They just make announcement after announcement. There, there's something about yeah. the software updates that gets to me even more than the hardware updates. And uh, I love it. So, you know, as this show publishes tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Pacific, Apple's going to have their big keynote and we're going to talk, later about you know kind of our thoughts heading into wwdc this year but the real focus of today's show is uh, adam's workflows because adam is a very busy guy and he's got some really useful workflows mm -hmm. i do want to say real quick before we we move into that that next week's episode episode 592 will be out a few days early everyone knows we normally publish on sundays but we want to get the wdc show out a little bit early. So look for that hopefully Thursday or Friday next week. Be sure to follow along on Twitter or in the forum. We'll let everybody know when that's up. Yeah, we don't want to put it out immediately after the keynote. We want to give it a few days so Stephen and I can do some research, but we're going to have thoughts on the announcements and we're going to get it to you early. All right, Adam. So let's start a little bit. Um, I, I would imagine a lot of our audience already knows you, but for those who don't, Adam is the proprietor of tidbits.com. Uh, when, when did you first start tidbits? April of 1990. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> which, which, you know, like I didn't think that used to be all that long ago, but now I start counting back. So yeah, we're at <laughs> 31 years now, <laughs> which yeah. is unthinkable. Yeah. Uh, just utterly unimaginable. I mean, it's such an amazing run. I know there there are a lot of us. I won't tell you how old I was uh, when you started, but um, <laughs> there are a lot of us who you know grew up super interested in the Mac, and Tidbits has been like this ever present companion for so many of us to keep up with what's going on with Apple, but also the uh, the ecosystem 
around it. I mean, really, it is uh, it's just incredible to me. It's I mean, it's fun every now and then I go back and sort of look at at, at very old issues and. You know, keep in mind when we started, that was the days of the the weeklies like Mac Week and Infoworld and PC Week, and you know they it was it was just such a different world, and Tidbits was faster and more nimble and had many more voices than Mac Week. I mean, we loved Mac Week, don't get me wrong, um, but that was you know sort of what we were trying to do something different than. And um, and it's been it's been telling that over the decades uh, we we've now I think become you know the staid uh, you know elder statesman of the <laughs> of the industry compared to uh, what we were back in the day. Yeah, and also you know like the Mac rumor stuff wasn't as big of a deal in 1990. You know back then the 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 Mac rumor was are they are the doors still open? You know that was the rumor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, there was um, actually there was the Mac the knife column at the end at the back of Mac Week, and there were rumors in that every day, or every week. But it was it was different somehow, and part of it was that I guess real stuff leaked, and Apple didn't have a nearly as much control over its communications and so and i don't know it felt like there was a reason for it more like you really needed to know what was coming up because you were making purchasing decisions like and if apple was going to release you know a new mac in six months you cared very deeply that you were not going to buy the wrong thing uh nowadays it just if it doesn't feel like it's quite as big a deal you know you might want to know but i don't get the the feeling that people are are hanging on those rumors as a way of adjusting their corporate budgets the way they used to although i do wish they would just kind of turn some cards over as to these uh, apple silicon Macs to say this is what we're doing and this is when they're coming out because you know we're going to find out more hopefully tomorrow but i I feel like there's still going to be some cards that haven't been turned over after tomorrow and that that makes it rough yeah yeah and and particularly you know it does seem we'll talk about more about this but you know it does seem they're kind of pushing off the higher performance machines you know those are the ones going to take the longest and so if you're in that world you're in the you know video processing whatever you know high-end audio world where you desperately need as much power as you can yeah you care about when those are coming out because it's affecting what you buy when so adam what um what computers are on your desk at this point? <laughs> well, I'm sitting here looking at a 2020 27-inch iMac, uh, which I was very happy to purchase last August because I'm, before then I'd been working on a 2014 27-inch iMac, which had served me well until its SSD died. And uh, I had to replace it. For, well, first, I you know booted from an external SSD for a while. And then after I bought the 2020, I got the guts up to cut the screen off off and and replace the ssd and that uh, the old mac so um but i've always worked on um this you know well since 2014 one of these 27 inch iMacs with a 27 inch thunderbolt display next to it uh the the thunderbolt display has to sit on one of my books to get up be up to the right height because it's just i cannot imagine why apple will not ever give us a height adjustable mac or monitor oh oh, they will it's just seven thousand (laughs) dollars <laughs> Whereas I can use a copy of, let's see, the AT and T uh, WorldNet Web Discovery Guide um, uh, that I wrote in 1996. I like um, that. To, yeah, 
Yeah, to bring it right up to that, you know, one point two inches higher, yeah. and that gets the you know the the bottom of the display is mm-hmm. to be exactly the right spot. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, it's a it's a decent monitor. I just wish it was a Retina monitor. Have you always been a desktop guy? I have always been a desktop guy, and I have always been a, a, a multiple monitor guy. I ran two multi, two monitors, starting with an SE thirty. Wow, uh, and and an Apple. I don't know what they called it, RGB display. I think it was the Apple RGB display, the, the, the 13-inch color. Um, and so, yeah, so that was a very, very long time ago. But, um, in fact, probably 91, and uh, with a, a, a monitor card in the SC30. And, it, and keep in mind, the SC30, of course, had the tiny little 512 by 384 monochrome screen yeah so bringing a, a 12 or 13 inch i think it was a 13 inch color display onto that was just a, such a big deal and ever since then i have been addicted to the concept of having multiple things open on multiple screens so how do you have like a a structure for that i think most people that have multiple screens kind of have a i don't know if philosophy is the right word but, you know just <laughs> oh, like yes. a, a oh yes a protocol <laughs> how they how <laughs> what does your brain expect on the left screen versus the right screen oh absolutely so first of all the right screen has to be the computer and and well i shouldn't say that the right screen has to be the main monitor that has the menu bar so that the apple menu is in the middle Okay. And and that way I'm looking at the menus, right? They're in they're in the middle of this huge extended desktop. Yeah. Um the dock is over on the right side. I'm not yes. a big dock user, so I don't really care. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, see, the correct right. side. Uh-huh. Correct side. Um Well, especially if you've got a monitor on the other side, you don't want to hit the dock on your way over. Right, precisely. The dock shouldn't be in the in the middle. The bottom never makes sense for the dock because then it takes away from functional space. Yes. So, oh man, the, we are cut from the same cloth. I'm so glad to hear go. this. You, you know what? The, I've been doing an experiment lately, guys, where I just put the dock at the bottom and hit it, and I just almost never need to look at it anyway. And it's kind of nice just having it off the screen. So I will say that that would probably be more of a big deal if I had if I didn't have as much horizontal space. Yeah. But the fact is, with two twenty sevens, the far left and far right edges are not super useful. Yeah, you know, it's far enough away that I have to turn my head, I have to refocus, all that. So, um, so having the dock over there is useful to be able to see it on occasion. But I'm not I'm not touching it all the time anyway. And I, I I'm more of a launch bar command tab kind of guy keyboard keyboard app switcher person mm-hmm. so um so you know it's mostly just a reference to be able to look at the knock um so then for instance i always have my email on the right hand monitor front and center because my email is the most important thing i do and i always have two stacked finder windows on the right hand side of the left monitor so they're kind of in the middle too and then overlaying them when I want to use it is my web browser window. Sure. So I can I can always switch back and forth. And I don't your 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 listeners will love this, I'm sure, but um I, and I think this is still true. I've had a keyboard maestro macro, I think it is. I can't even remember when I did this last. It was basically when I click on the desktop, the finder windows come to the front. Because that's the easiest way for me to get to the finder, and I don't want my windows, my finder windows, to stay behind whatever is in front of them. Okay. 
And so, but I think that's something I do in Keyboard Maestro, but that was something I set up years ago, basically, you know, on, on Finder Activation, bring its windows to the front. Yeah, that's, I think that's the only app I can think of where you could do that short of writing an Apple script. So you're probably... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and because it's because that desktop is such a big target to click on. Yeah. And, and so that's really handy. But that way, by having the two stacked Finder windows, um, it's easier for me to copy from one to the other. Um, I can also see different things. So like uh, right now I'm looking at it and, um, you know, one is showing my downloads folder and the other is showing, um, you know, some projects that I have due tomorrow. So, you know, it's it's very much stuff I'm working on right now. Downloads folder gets used a lot because that's where screenshots come in from come into from the iPhone, obviously anything I download, stuff like that. So that tends to be a destination for me. Now, do you sit because like I've done multi monitors in the past and the only way I've ever been able to make it work is if I sit in the center of one of them. I cannot sit in the center of that line. You know what I mean? Yes. So first of all, I work on a standing desk, um, so I'm standing all the time. But probably the thing for you to imagine is that my keyboard is um, like the left side of my keyboard almost matches up with the left side of the right hand monitor. So it's yeah. not quite centered. I'm not quite centered on it. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm I'm nudged to the left. So, but but yes, I'm. I feel like I'm centered on that main the the window that's going to be the primary window on my right-hand monitor. So that's kind of your working computer, the right one. Precisely. Yeah. And, that's, and that's, so the two things, that I said the mail's there, the other thing is there is whatever I'm writing. So yeah. when I'm in Google Docs or, you, you know, uh, BB Edit, something like that, that will be on the, the right-hand monitor in that kind of nudge to the center position of importance. And the other reason for that, actually, um, just to be clear, is that I've got my dock way over on the right, but I can also see all my finder icons over there. So, yeah. and I always have my desktop set to sort by last modified. So any, the, the current, the, the most recently created messed up, you know, modified file is always sitting there under my drives. Um, and it's always visible, be, almost always visible because nothing ha um, overwrites it on that far right. Nice. And then what, and then the left one is like your reference monitor? Yeah, so as I said, it's got those Finder windows, it's got the web browser, it's got uh, messages stuffed over on the far side. Um, uh, I don't have it showing all the time, but um, that's where Fantastical um, takes over the entire screen for my calendar. Oh, have you ever so, done the trick with Fantastical, entire screen, but week view with 14 days? That's, that, that's golden. Week view with 14 days? Yeah, because Fantastical can view more than seven days in week view. So I put that up on the full screen with 14 days, and I can plan out for two weeks. It is like, uh, it's like being in, it's like being in the center of NORAD. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have to check this. Oh, yeah, days per week, 14 days. Okay, I'm trying this right now. Um. That's an interesting sounding. I'll have to look at that. I will admit, I'm not a highly scheduled person. Sure. Um, in terms of like what happening during the day, so for me, the month view is 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 what I've always defaulted to because I can just and I can usually just see my um, my my reminders as well as my events in that. But I don't know. I'll try it. I mean, that's you, you know, that's the only way you learn these things. Is someone says, "Hey, what about such and such?" And you're like, "Oh, that's a good idea. I'll have to give it a try." <laughs> um, what about inputs? Are you a trackpad guy, a mouse guy? 
Oh, I'm weirder than anyone. Um, All right. I use, I use a Contour Designs Roller Mouse Pro. All right. That so that's the one like the old football game in the arcades, right? Where it's a big ball. No, you... it's a it's a track bar. So what? it's a it's a rolling. Uh, it's a it's a bar that slides back and forth, and then it and then it uh, rotates as well. So you get back and forth is a left right motion and rolling is a is a up down motion and you combine them and you get you know the full motion, and then below the track bar it's got one two three four five buttons and a scroll wheel. All right, you get give me the name again. I, I have to look at this. <laughs> <laughs> Contour Designs Roller Mouse Pro, and it sits right below your keyboard with with palm rests. Um, so, so that it's a little bit like the trackpad on a laptop, which I like, you know, I like to have my thumbs below the keyboard when I'm not typing for moving. I have never seen this before. I never even knew something (laughs) like this existed. My, my work here is done. So, (laughs) so no, this thing is really strange. Um, but I love it. The only real downside is, is you lose extreme precision if you like care about pixel level stuff in graphics. Yeah. So it's fast, it's accurate, but it's not um, it's not as precise as uh, as a as a mouse or a trackpad is. Um, what I like about it is is that you know it just the thing just moves with a fingertip really easily. And um, and it allows me to keep my hands you know on the keyboard and come back off of it um, very comfortably. I, I want to describe this for the listeners that are driving down the freeway. It is like <laughs> it's like a traditional palm rest that you put under your keyboard, but it it's got like wheels and rollers and I, I mean you have to look at this when you get to wherever you're driving right now because I I, I don't I can't even describe it that well. It's got like a <laughs> looks like a little mouse like um you know, like if you had a little mouse and he was going to run on a treadmill, it's like got a little mouse treadmill in there. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, it, it's like something you'd see in a movie. It's like the future of computing. You know, it's like and, this is what they had right before Minority Report. Yes, yeah. this is like steampunk input devices. Yes, <laughs> if the movie was made in 1980, this is what clear. this yeah. is what you would have. So, how's the how's the Mac OS support on this? Like, this seems really unusual. It's all standard buttons and and scroll wheels and things like that. Um, How do you go for, side to side? I see. The, so you scroll. You so the bar slides left and right. Oh, wow! So what you can run into trouble sometimes is when you get the bar. So if you get the bar all the way to one edge and your mouse and your pointer isn't to the edge you want to get to, mm. you can you have to kind of keep pushing or back up and push a little harder. Um because it obviously is constrained in that in that ring. It can rotate infinitely, but it can only go left and right so far before it hits the edges. So I've used one of these for many years at this point. I I, I would actually have to go back to find out how long. Um, but I have actually bought I think this is my second one, and I'm actually considering buying another one just because it's starting to get so old and worn looking that I'm a little worried that it will fail and like the company will have gone away. So like maybe I should get another one while I can. Yeah, like put five of them in a closet just in case. Yeah, and and to get back to your question about how it interacts with macOS, um, it it does fine. I mean, basically, it's a standard pointing device and standard extra buttons and things like that. So anything you can do that lets you program buttons, like Keyboard Maestro or whatnot, um, will work. 
it, various times in the past, there was, um, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on it. I know the guy's name, Alessandro Levy Montalcini. And what was his app? USB Overdrive. Okay. USB Overdrive allowed you to control any USB input device in every imaginable way. And so at various times over the over the history of my using these things, which has probably been 15 plus 20 years, I don't know exactly, maybe even more, um, I've used USB Overdrive to like adjust the tracking and make it faster or slower and that kind of thing. I am super tempted to try one of these just for a week, just, just for the experience <laughs> of it. I it, can't get it over does, it. It does take a little getting used to. I will say, like, Mike, Tanya, is this is the best way to keep someone off your Mac? <laughs> like, they come and they look at it and they're like, "But where's the mouse? How do I?" And you're, you show them and, they're, and they're, like they like they touch it. They're you know like gingerly with a finger and and you know like Tanya hates having to use my Mac, so um, it's it's a great way to ensure that no one no one messes with your stuff. Well, we have made over 500 episodes of Mac Powers, and this is by far the weirdest input device I have ever heard of on the show. <laughs> well, I will say it's not the weirdest I've ever used. Uh-oh. So, okay, now so, you're going to tell me. So this is way back in the 90s, I think. Um, I was having trouble with carpal tunnel syndrome, and that's where a lot of this stuff came from, is you know, repetitive stress, you know, desire to use different stuff for repetitive stress injuries. And for a while, I was using a cording keyboard with i think a trackball normal like kensington trackball but i had a foot button okay, i had a button yeah. that i could click yeah. with my foot which was great right because the problem with click it when you've got rsi issues the problem is pushing and holding and so i would move the trackball with my hand um, the finger, and that was great and then i would click with my foot and hold with my foot to drag and that was brilliant yeah. So, yeah, that was ADB level stuff. So that was that was so long ago. That did not survive. Yeah. Um I I think that's long gone. But uh but it was it was actually a pretty useful approach, right? Because it's sort of the same thing like you do why you use your feet when you're driving a car. Um because you can coordinate that perfectly well. You know, your body does that really really nicely and it allowed you know, again, avoiding, because the problem, and this is even more so with mice, right? You know, the problem is that when you're pushing into a surface, it's, it's bad, it does bad things to the muscles in your arm. Um, you're fighting yourself. And so to be able to eliminate that part of it with a click foot, the foot, the foot button was nice. Yeah, I had some friends that were heavy into music that used those foot buttons for some of the music production stuff they yeah. were doing. And I think yeah. that's what they were really made for. But yeah, why not? You know? Yeah. All yeah. right. So you've got you've got the big uh, iMac, you've got the big extra screen, and are you and do you even own a laptop? I do, uh, and I mean, as much as I am very much a desktop guy, and you know, I want all those pixels. Uh, I do go on trips and like to work in the living room sometimes and things like that. So I've always had a laptop. It's for me, it's just an it's an auxiliary machine, and I'm currently rocking an M M1 based MacBook Air, which is. An amazing, amazing machine, I have to say. Yeah. It replaced a 2012 MacBook Air, to be fair. So, you know, it didn't have a lot of competition, put it that yeah. way. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I've, I mean, I, and, and to that end, you know, like because the laptops for me are always travel machines or secondary machines, I always go for light and inexpensive. Yeah. You know, I'm never getting the 16-inch MacBook Pros or anything like that because I just don't need it. You know, yeah. like whatever. It's it's I'm I'm you know it's, I'm on a conference. I need to be able to check my email. Mm -hmm. Are you an iPad guy? I have an iPad. 
Um, let's see. I, I use the iPad when I'm sick to watch Netflix. Okay. Does that count? <laughs> so you're not an iPad guy. I'm not an iPad guy. No, yeah. I, I, I'm not. And, you know, and I have to say, I feel like I've given it the, the old college try on several occasions. I have a 10 and a half inch iPad Pro with the smart keyboard and the Apple Pencil. I occasionally find things that are absolutely brilliant on the iPad. So, for instance, recently for um, a race I was uh, organizing, I needed to send uh, um, a sketch of a trail course to the state Department of Environmental Conservation for a permit. Well, you know, the absolute best way to do that is to pull a PDF into an iPad and sketch over it in markup with an Apple Pencil. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that is that is the best way to do it, bar none. Um, but for almost everything else I do, the iPad is just not as good. I mean, yeah. it it's not as good a word processor. It's not as good a uh, an email platform. It's not as good a web browser, and it's just not as good in every way. And it's not saying I'm not saying it's bad, but. What I can do on my, particularly my 2020 Mac or even the MacBook Air is just so much more flexible, um, so much faster. I, I, I can never justify using the iPad over, over the MacBook Air when I'm traveling. Yeah, it's very good at niche things and sometimes not so good at everyday yeah. things. And, and, I, and I keep wanting to. I mean, like, I feel badly about it. I keep, you know, Apple has these ads and I'm like, I want to be the guy who's fixing the, tur- the you know, the, the wind turbine up at the top of that pole with my custom iPad app or something. But, but it turns out I don't do that. I write stuff and I yeah. post stuff on websites and I yeah. download images and I edit them. And, you know, I just can't. I can't bring myself to uh, to to use it. And well, hopefully Apple gives you another reason to try tomorrow. Hopefully. Hopefully and you know they could also do a lot more on the the like the multitasking side of things. I can't even remember the controls to get split screen and that kind of stuff going. You know, it's like it's just never useful enough. It's it's fast enough to switch full apps. So, you know, the ten of the times when I do want to see two apps at once, I have to go look it up, which just seems really wrong. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends over at 1Password. We all know about 1Password being the best way to store our passwords and other secure information on our computers. It all syncs seamlessly with our phones and tablets, but also uh, our PCs that we may be using. I've got a PC here in my office and I use 1Password on it. It all syncs perfectly. And they've really rolled out some great improvements, including Touch ID and Windows Hello support in the browser version of 1Password. So if 1Password is locked and you have the desktop app installed, you can now use those biometric authentication, either on your Mac or your PC, right from the browser. Also comes with a beautiful new dark mode in the browser. Looks really awesome, really great. And they've updated the saving experience. Lots of polish in this most recent version of 1Password. That's really what they do. You would think a password manager would be kind of a static thing. They really work on it day in and day out to make it better, more secure, and faster. So if you need a password manager, and you do, head on over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial. And when you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU. And our thanks to 1Password for their continuing support of the show. Adam, you said your most important work is your email. 
I uh, that that was curious to me. So I, I, <laughs> but I guess you know you are really running a a group of people to keep everything going at tidbits, and you know, like you know, and, and you did all that great work with the Take Control series, and you've you've just done a lot of the collaboration. So I would imagine email is pretty important to you. So uh, so share some wisdom with us. What's the email app of choice for Adam Anks, and and how do you pull that off? Uh, can I say anything but Apple Mail? No, um, <laughs> I have never That's... liked Apple Mail. Um, sure. I do not use it. Uh, I've never used it. Um, seriously, I mean, obviously, it's on my Macs at all times. But I mean, I was a Eudora guy back in the day. I mean, I wrote a book about Eudora, so I really, really liked Eudora, and I feel like I have been searching ever since. And uh, many years ago, I did actually I switched to Gmail. And okay. in, in the web interface. And what I liked about it was is that it was the first rethinking of what email was. And, you know, putting that Google slant of everything is search onto email really worked for me because I do not like touching my email repeatedly. I don't like filing things. I don't like having to sort through stuff to, to find things. I like doing searches. And... Um, Works my brain. I, I'm I'm very good at searching, and I have no trouble like coming up with the keywords that will find pretty much any any message I need at any time. So I have changed numerous times over the years. Um, you know, various different email apps. Um, uh, most recently, actually, I started using Spark, and I liked Spark quite a lot. Um, I, they did some very nice very nice things. I like the UI. I like the fact that it worked on both Mac and iPhone. Um, but they had one real problem, which is I'm an unread guy. So when I see a message and I need to come back to deal with it, I mark it as unread. Okay. You know, I know there's other systems. I know there's this, that, the other thing. There's the un- inbox zero. There's the, you know, getting things done, putting it in a list, blah, blah, blah. Me, I mark it as unread. I've tried all the others and they don't stick. Sure. So... You know, I it's I think one of those things you just have to learn what sort of person you are. Problem with Spark, if you're an unread person, is they de- have not thought carefully enough about how messages get marked as read, and so it's too easy for a, to mark a message as read inadvertently when you didn't mean to, and sometimes even when you didn't know you were doing it. So if you yeah. click into a mailbox, and I, I mean, I haven't used Spark now, and I'll tell you why, in, in, you know, I don't know, six, eight months. But so it's possible this has changed. But when I gave up on it, um, you could click into a mailbox, say, and the first message would get selected, and then you'd, you'd click away without even having read it necessarily, and it would get marked as read. Yeah. yeah that, that, a lot of apps do that because it, they, it selects a message for you, and it just says, oh, precisely hey, read that. Yeah. So, so a while back... Um, uh, Julio Ojeda Zapata, who who writes for us on Tidbits, um, said, hey, I want to write a review of this beta app called MimeStream, which is a Gmail-specific client that uses the API. So it gives you a full Mac interface um, instead of the Gmail web interface, which I'd been starting to have some troubles with, to be fair. You know, I was part of it. I was looking away from the Gmail web interface because certain things Google had done were not fitting as well with my, my working style. And so I started, I say, well, cool, I'll give, give this uh, MimeStream app a try. And it's a brilliant little app. It's written by a guy who used to be on the Apple Mail team at Apple. And he's really good. And he's really open to 
discussing stuff. So in fact, Mindstream had the same problem with unread messages. It was, it was better than Spark and other, you know, in, in, in some ways with that already, but it still had that one where you click into a, a mailbox and the there's one message that's selected and then you click out and suddenly that one's been unread. And so I mentioned this to him and he's like, oh, okay, here's why I do this. You know, and he explained, you know, like the Apple theory that something should always be selected and like in notes and reminders. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fair. But in mail, you've got... Um, you've got a you've got a message list, and so something is selected in the message list, but that doesn't mean you need to show its its contents because you could work with multiple messages in the message list too. Yeah, and so we had that conversation, and he actually tried a couple of things um, to make it work the way I want. One of them, one of them, we both agreed we didn't like. You know, basically you had to keep clicking on something to get it to mark as read. You know, when you when you'd already read it, and then he finally hit upon the, you know like the the, the sweet spot. So so yeah, this MimeStream app still in beta. It's free to try while it's in beta. And I, for anyone who's using Gmail, only works with Gmail, I recommend it highly. It's a, it's a neat little app. It's very, it's very quick. It maintains that, that, that kind of search focus, although he's working on ways of making, improving that too. And uh, it's, just a, it's just a joy to use. Um, I really like being able to spin through mail very quickly. And, and that makes it, makes it, uh, makes it possible. Yeah, I looked into this because you told me about this app as we were preparing for today's interview, and I spent some time over the weekend looking at it, and this looks like a really nice app. Now, I'm not a Gmail user, so I haven't like gone at it in depth, but um, a frequent question we get from listeners is, what is a good Gmail app? And most of them are terrible, and yeah. like I, my usual advice is just use the web browser. That's what it's made for, but this looks like an app you could really recommend. Yeah. Before this, I used Mailplane for a long time. And Mailplane basically is a Mac app wrapper for the Gmail interface. So again, Uncomplex is the company. They do a great job. And it's nice that it makes it, it pulls it out. You know, like I don't like things in my, I don't like email in my browser. I don't like Google Docs in my browser um, normally because I consider them apps. And so I want them separated for switching between things and not getting you know tabs to be confused, but uh, but Mailplane is completely at the at the mercy of what Gmail does with the rest of the interface, and yeah. so there were changes there that were starting to get on my nerves, and so so yeah, so I, that's that's well worth trying. And to be fair, you know when I say that um, you know email I consider the most important, that's still true, but it's actually much less true than it used to be. Because um, all my tidbits and take control stuff, back, you know, when we're doing take control, um, we've been doing in Slack, and you know it's it's just one of those things where it's uh, Slack works well, and you know I mean there's other other variants on on the concept of you know channels of instant messaging, but for a small fairly fast moving group. I find that Slack is a better approach than little mailing lists, which we had in email before Slack. You know, so we switched intentionally, and I like I like that as a quicker way of doing things. Yeah, I mean that that's how Relay runs internally, and it's nice. It's almost like my inbox has become conversation outside of the company, and Slack yes. is conversation inside the company. Yes. That's exactly the same thing. I mean, the only conversation, internal, quote unquote, internal conversations I have is, let's say we get, you know, email from a PR person who, you know, is interested in, in talking to us about an article, and I need to forward that to an, you know, another one of my editors. That's, that's the extent of it. You know, 
everything else happens in Slack uh, because it's just it's just faster. You know, mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. You know, and these are these are not. And, and yes, we use the free team, the free version, and we don't care about losing access to our history and stuff like that because this is like you know chatter. Um, it's important business chatter, but it's just chatter. It's like okay, you can take that article live now. Great, doing that. Here's the yeah, link. Yeah, a know. month later, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> totally don't care. So yeah, so that's that's true. Um, we've also started using Trello. Um, we 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 have kind of a an on again off again relationship with Trello. So it's. Um, the on again is is for tidbits articles, and basically we ran into we made a mistake at some point and slightly stepped on uh, one of our um, one of our authors uh, uh, had had asked to be able to write an article, and we ended up accidentally giving that to a different person, and you know it was just a a, a minor a communication failure, but we felt badly about it, and so Josh Senators Josh, Josh Senators Josh Centers, who is our managing editor, uh, is like I'm spinning up Trello again, and so he kind of cleaned up the board, and you know, and now we have a you know you can pitch here, and we move it into working, and then we move it into editing, and then we you know we say it's done and stuff like that, and it just helps us keep a little bit more track of what's going on. So we used to use Trello heavily in the take control days for process lists. We love Trello for that. Uh, but once we sold Take Control, then you know Joe Kissel came up with his own systems. I like Trello as well. I recently wrote about building a Kanban board in a graphics app. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of people wrote in about how they do it in Trello. And it feels to me like it's just such the natural choice because it does two things. It's, it's Number one, it's very easy to start. So you can use it at a basic level with really no research. But if you want to go deeper, they have added some really deep features to Trello over the last few years where you can really, you know, do a lot with it as a collaboration tool. That's that's true. And and I will say, though, that uh, like just recently, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this, there's some transition to workspaces that's happening and we totally don't understand it. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's a mess. I, 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 I literally do not know what they're talking about, but it's going to happen on June 3rd, apparently. And, and it feels as though they've added some, some, so many deep features in some cases that it gets getting in the way of just that true, wonderful cards on lists on boards metaphor mm-hmm. that they came up with however many years ago, because we were very early adopters of Trello. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it's gone through, you know, it's, it had, you know, first of all, it was just, you know, it was just free and easy to use. And then, it, you know, it got, became more of a, you know, oh, we're actually going to charge for it. And now it's owned by Atlassian and, you know, it's all fine, but it does feel as though it's a little bit harder to get started with than it used to be. Well, hopefully they don't like lose the simplicity because I think that's what brings a lot of people in. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and, and all of this, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, like, again, uh, this Trello system, you know, when we have a card that's tracking an article over different prompt parts of the process, we, some of the stuff that's just nice about it is, for instance, that card has a link to the article in Google Docs, mm-hmm. which is where we do all our writing. And and so, you know, it's not a problem generally for us, but every now and then, you know, something someone will like forget to create an article in the right folder, but it'll still have the right permissions. So we will, and then we won't be able to find it again. Right. You know, like, well, where did it go? Oh, they didn't put it in the right folder, but you know, so this is a way that, you know, having the article link moving along with the card like that makes it easier to find occasionally in Google docs. But, you know, and actually just to continue on with the, like the stuff we, we rely on, 
man, Google Docs is it these days. You know, everything we write is in Google Docs. And it simply comes down to collaboration is king. Yeah. I mean, because you guys have, over the years, uh, been advocates for a lot of different word processing systems. Yep. I, yep. I've always kept up with what you've used. Because <laughs> I always felt like, you know, you were at the sharp end of the stick on a lot of that stuff. Yep. And and the fact is, and, you know, for instance, like in, take, in the take control time, we, we actually switched word process, major word processors three times. So first we used Word because it's Word and it had all the features we needed. And except for one, which was we needed to be able to build PDFs with links. And only in the very early days of Take Control, only Word for Windows could do that. And so we actually had a step where we moved the file to Windows. I forget. It must have been an emulation. Um, and uh, um, exported the PDF and then went, did everything back on the Mac again. So that was that was that was the word the word era. Then we moved to Pages when Pages got the ability to 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 you know to export those uh, um, those PDFs. And then at some point, um, Nicest Writer Pro came out, and we love Nicest Writer. I've been using Nicest Writer like since the nineties. Yeah, and and having those macros and the incredible grep based searching, um, you know, Nicest Writer is just the cat's pajamas when it comes to powerful, customizable word processors that, you know, you can bend to your will. Um, and so that was, that was what, you know, we used up till the end. But the problem for tidbits is we need to be faster. So with, with Nicest Writer, which is a great word processor, we use Dropbox to provide the collaboration. And I don't know if you guys have, have done this kind of thing, but when you get into a Dropbox scenario with a document-based app, you really have to version the app because if yeah. anything goes wrong, then you're 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 like pouring through Dropbox versions trying to figure out the right one. It's just easier to have a system, and we did this because we'd have like three people, you know, author, editor, and Tanya, maybe me, uh, so three or four people who'd be looking at a file, and so we'd always have an out folder. And what you would do is you'd you'd move the folder into the out folder and you'd rename it um, with your initials and a version number. And then when you checked it back in, you would leave a you put a copy in a you'd leave a copy in there. Uh, we had a, an old folder, putting and so that we'd have this just like selection of well, you know version one two three four five six, and you could always see who'd done what in the in each version. And you know when you're working with a hundred and fifty page word processing document that's you know a hundred megabytes because it's got big images in it, yeah. E corruption happens sometimes. So, yeah. you know, you really need to do that. And it's just, but it's just too slow to do the kind of renaming and moving all the time. And Google Docs just does it all. You know, I mean, yeah, you get a lot of color sometimes, but that's about the extent of the problem with collaboration in Google Docs. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute because Google Docs is excellent in the sense that you can have three people in document at the same time typing and it's not going to, you know, trip on itself. Yeah, but um, and, th and that's where people stop. Like, well, that's why it's good at collaboration. But I would argue that you know there's more to collaboration than just contemporaneous writing. And um, how do you manage that? Like, how do you when you open a Google Doc, how do you know whether Adam's been <laughs> writing on it, Josh has been writing on it, or Tanya's been writing on it? Well, and I think one of the mistakes people make is they think this like simultaneous writing is is collaboration. That almost never happens. Like yeah. it it just doesn't. And 
and it's it's actually and it's and actually most of us who in, in the tidbits world don't like it. So like if you see some, if you're working in a document and someone else comes in, usually you back off. And part of it is like let's say you know let's say Julio has written an article, and I'm editing it, and Josh comes in. He shouldn't do anything because I don't necessarily work entirely linearly. So, you know, I'm, I'll start editing at the top and I'll work my way down. But as I get further down, I may go, oh, I see why this is to here now. So now I'm going to go back up to the top and fix that stuff at the top that I, either I changed or needs to be fixed because I understand what's going on in the full document now. So, so having, you know, like having two people in a document at once can just be confusing because just because you've done something doesn't mean you're, you're even going to commit to it. Like I might go and revert my change because now... I understand why why those tech that why those words were there at the top, and so so yeah so usually we don't we're not you know like formal about it or anything but I think we've just sort of all come to the idea of like oh yeah someone else is in the document I'll I'll back away for a while, so 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 here's the thing so let's say Julio submits an article, I will take an edit pass on that article and um, all the edits I make as sort of quote unquote primary editor. Um, Julio has to approve. And he has to approve or reject them. You know, like he doesn't get to ignore them. Um, he can reject them if he doesn't agree with them, although at that point, what usually we say is approve it and then change it again and explain why you've done it. Yeah. Because I, 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 you know, I made the change for a reason. Um, if Josh comes in and as another editor, same thing. Julio is the is the guy who gets to approve or reject Josh's changes. But after the first writing, everyone works in suggesting mode, including Julio. So when yeah. Julio comes through and approves and, and rejects my changes, if he makes additional changes, which he's going to likely, because like he'll see my one of my changes, like oh, I see what he's trying to do, but I'm going to rewrite it in my voice. Um, he he's in suggesting, and I, as primary editor, get to approve his changes. And so it's very important to set those roles of author and primary editor. Um, and to be, and to have the rules of who approves whose changes and and the fact that they must do so, you know you don't get to you don't get to just leave them. You know, so the document is always it, it gets more colorful and then less colorful, more colorful and less colorful. And yeah. we will often take um, you know two or three passes um, on a long article. You know, so so it'll go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and that happens often in Slack or in Trello, depending on sort of the the the, the, the immediacy of it. Um, the person who we actually do the most of that with is is Glenn Fleischman, because Glenn is incapable of not writing new stuff on every pass he takes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so he'll just think of a better way to say something and everything. So each time we 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 trade the thing back and forth, there's you know there's fewer and fewer changes, but it will often go like four or five passes um, because he'll be like, oh, I got a great new way of explaining this, you know, this like, complicated stuff. Like, oh, that's great, but now I had to make two edits in that new stuff. So wait, wait, Glenn has more to say. That is so <laughs> so off brand for him. <laughs> Glenn, yeah. Um, so I've 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 known Glenn for a very very long time at this point. So uh, so we work pretty well together uh, because we've written so much. Um, we've written you know we've written entire books together. But uh, but yes. <laughs> now, do you write that in 
I guess I would call it rich text format. I mean, you're embedding links and images yes. and things and, and text formatting right in the Google Doc. We do. So, uh, gosh, 2017, 18, can't remember which year it was. I think it was 17. Um, we did a major back-end switch for tidbits. So before then, for the last previous, I don't know, 10, 12 years, we had been using something we called the Tidbits Publishing System, which Glenn had actually written in Perl. So it was a homegrown publishing system that did exactly what we wanted. It was brilliant. It was fast. It, it worked really well. Um, however, it was really brittle. Sure. In other words, it did exactly what we wanted and nothing more. And if anything changed, stuff broke. <laughs> when, when there's only one user for a product, you yeah. find all the bugs. Yes. And, and the problem was that it, we had it for so long and it worked, frankly, so well for so long, Glenn actually forgot how to fix stuff. Like, I mean, he, cause he, I mean, he, he hadn't, he, like, he would look at the code once every two years yeah. and because like, oh, it worked, it worked, it worked, it worked. Suddenly something broke it and he'd have to try to figure out. So we're like, okay, we really need to redo the Tibbets infrastructure. We moved to, again, heavily bespoke, but uh, system, um, but it's based on WordPress now. And so in the Tibbets publishing system, the input, uh, input format was Markdown. And so that was when we used BBEdit, and uh, we actually used Subversion for version control and collaboration sure. with BBEdit, and pasted Markdown into the TPS. Um, with the new system, when we, when we knew what we were doing along the whole way, and switched to Google Docs, we said, you're right, we can do complete rich text. So we're doing... We're doing it's it's rich text, but it's semantic rich text. So yeah. you know, H ones, H twos, you know, a little bit of bold and italic is about all the all the all the um, non semantic formatting that we do, and um, and images go into the Google Docs so that we see them in context because that is the one thing we cannot move over cleanly with a, like a copy and paste into uh, into WordPress. You can't you can't copy and paste images out of Google Docs and get them into WordPress. So we have to upload those separately, which is the main automation thing that we are unhappy about. But uh, we copy and paste the text from Google Docs into WordPress. And then you'll also like this. Um, we click the little text button in, Word, in WordPress to see the see the code, and uh, and then press a, a keyboard macro, a keyboard maestro macro that sends the text over to BB Edit to be cleaned. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, because I mean, I don't know. WordPress, Google Docs always puts like span line, you know, text line weight yeah. this, you know, font size four hundred percent. You know, like <laughs> you know, it's just it's just it's just ugly, ugly HTML. And it's really simple to clean it up in BBEdit because it's all in spans. And uh, so, yeah, so we send it to BBEdit at a text factory, cleans it up, and, and pastes it right back into WordPress, and then it's gorgeous. So that's, uh, it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice system. I'm, I'm still frustrated by the fact that I can't just push a button in Google Docs and have the, the text and graphics show up in WordPress in a useful way. There's a, a WordPress plugin actually from Automatic, the WordPress people, that does it, but it doesn't really quite work properly. And then there's a service that will do it, but it's expensive. It's like, I don't know, I want to say like $59 a month or something like that, or you know, $99 a month. It was, it was one of those things where like at 20 bucks a month, I would have considered it, but 100 bucks a month, I was not going to consider it. You know, we right. can copy yeah. and paste for 100 bucks a month. Yeah, That's not, <laughs> not, not too bad. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> precisely so so it's a it's it's been a it's been a fascinating um 
you know, approach. And the developer we have working on the WordPress side is brilliant. So we have lots of neat, we have lots of neat little shortcuts. So uh, if you read tidbits, you're familiar with this. We give references, article references to old, old articles all the time. And we have a very specific format for doing that. And for those of us who are logged into our WordPress site, you know, viewing the main tidbits, you know, the front end of it, but we're logged in, um, another a black bar appears at the top, and then there's various links in that so we can edit the post or whatnot. But one of them, actually, just when you click it, it gives you a perfectly formatted reference that you can paste into your article. So, you know, because that's like things like, you know, generating a, a reference in the proper format with the date of the article is annoying as all get out. You know, it gets just, it's just make work. So that's the sort of thing we can, we know, we had our developer just give us a, a one-click solution to, uh, to paste, copying and pasting that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast to get 20% off and type more with less effort. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. With Text Expander, you can say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste or scripts and templates. Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used on any platform and any app anywhere you type. So take your time back and increase your productivity with Text Expander. I just sent out my invoices for my law practice last night, and I use a really cool Text Expander snippet for that. I enter the month automatically in the subject line with the snippet because Text Expander can use the current month. And it was the May invoice, so it says Sparks Law May Invoice. It types that in automatically. Text Expander also lets you hard code the tab key into an expansion snippet, which is something you can't do with most other text expansion tools. So not only does it fill out the subject line, then it jumps to the body of the line and it fills in the text I want for the invoice language and the message I send to the client. It even lets me type in their name and gives me a little section where I can type a particular note for the invoice. All of that is done with a single text expander snippet. And I use it so many times every month. It just really makes my life easier. That's just one of the many things you can do with text expander. So get 20% off your first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast right now to learn more and let them know you heard about it at the Mac power users. I know a, a big part of the, uh, the tidbits reading experiences, uh, screenshots, images of applications or parts of macOS itself. Uh, you touched on a little bit that you use Google Docs to do that, and you've got to get them out. But what does the workflow around screenshots look like more generally? Oh, yeah, there's uh, there's another topic which I'm, you know, like, I feel like I'm always striving and never quite reaching. Well, keep in mind, Tip has been going so long, we predate graphics on the internet. Right. <laughs> At all. <laughs> and and then we then we were then we had like, you know, we predated the web. And then we and then we predated, you know, then we had the when we had a website, but you know, you really weren't gonna put graphics in because that was hard. You know, it's just, you know, you weren't it, it you couldn't do it. And so et cetera. So we've been sort of working our way up to this for years and years and years. Yeah, uh, imagine in nineteen ninety two, we don't need those talkies. We're good. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. And, and, you know, and for a while we did have graphics, but they would be just a link, right? You know, you'd have to click the link to go to our FTP site to load the graph. <laughs> 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 so um so yeah so now we have like full graphics and because it's wordpress we can do left and right alignments we can even do inline graphics so we don't do too much of that because they're a royal pain in the butt um we we did those for take control pretty heavily and, and they, it's a nice nice thing to do but it's a lot of work so there's two parts of the of what we have trouble with with graphics one of them was actually solved just by moving to WordPress, which is that when you do graphics in a markdown-based scenario, you don't get any control over how big the graphic is. And if you take, say, a, a screenshot on a retina screen of a relatively small, a relatively small window or palette or something, it gets freaking huge. And in markdown, and so you 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 know you have this massive image in your article of a relatively small thing on the screen. And so we were never happy about that. And so WordPress just allowed us to resize images. So that was nice. Um, and so now our rule, and I've never seen anyone talk about this, but I believe that the text in a screenshot should never be larger than the, the body text of the article around it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good right? that's a good rule. Right? Yeah, just as, just as a simple way of thinking about it, and that way, you know, because and 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 if possible, it should look basically the size it was on screen when you took the screenshot, which is hard to do if you think about it. Like, there's no there's no there's no way to say size this to its original size because there's you know you get into DPIs and different screen sizes and blah 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 it's just really tricky so you so basically we just do it by by hand you know like you just resize and you're like yeah that looks about right um so that was sort of thing number 1 that that really changed and helped us thing number 2 is that screenshots um a lot of screenshots on the both the Mac and and iOS these days have a lot of white in them and our page background is white. And so if you have white on white, it's called a bleed and it looks terrible because you can't tell where the screenshot ends and the page background starts. So we wanted to border them. Okay, that shouldn't be that hard. And, and in fact, you know, Joe Kissel created us a, a, a QuickTime effect that we used in a, in a macro years and years and years ago for Take Control to do this. And so I've been, you know, a keyboard maestro, you know, control option B uh, borders an image on my, on, my scene, on my system. And that worked pretty well um, until we hit, uh, uh, well, Big Sur on the Mac, and it never worked all that well on the iPhone because you just got these rectangular iPhone screenshots, which, you know, they showed you the content, but they didn't say iPhone. Like, you had to actually parse it as an iPhone screenshot. Um, and so we, we started looking for sort of new ways to border stuff. For the iPhone, um, Federico Vitici, the Mac Stories guy, has come up with an absolutely brilliant shortcut called Apple Frames. And you can take screenshots, you can take two or three of them, you select them, you run this shortcut, it borders them with an iPhone you know, like all the Chrome makes it look like it's in an iPhone physically. And then it combines them into a horizontal uh, layout. Absolutely brilliant. It's great. So we use that. Um, there's also a ni nice little app called Pixo, P-I-C-S-E-W, on the iPhone that gives you a little bit more flexibility. Um, Apple Frames sometimes fails if you don't have the right size screenshots or, you know, various things along those lines. So those have given us a way of making iPhone screenshots fit in well. 
On the Mac side, Big Sur really screwed things up because all these windows are now rounded rects and our bordering system was just doing, I mean, you don't, when you take a screenshot, you don't get a rounded rect. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. You get a rounded rect if you're willing to put up with Apple's massive shadows. But the massive shadows make it look really funny because then you get you know, a ton of intentionally dead space in your article. Yeah. Um, so we try to take the shadows out. And if you take the shadows out, then you lose borders entirely. And so when that, and now that the borders are these rounded rects and our, our, our border me uh, QuickTime thing uh, gave us hard rectangles. So we actually just very recently switched to retro batch um, from uh, um, Flying Me to Gus Mueller and uh, the Acorn guy. And, um, and again, Joe Kissel had done the same thing for Take Control. So we, we, we piggybacked on what he had done. And he came up with a really neat way of kind of like actually using borders and shadows to, uh, to do the rounded rect bordering in a very nice way. So, so that's been, uh, that's been working. What I'm not happy about with this, and I, um, Stephen, maybe you actually know, can, can check this for me more easily. It feels to me like in Big Sur, when you do a screenshot and you want to grab like a, a dialogue or a window, it's much less likely that it will do it, that you'll get some, like if you are in system preferences and you click something that brings up a sheet, you cannot get that, just that sheet. It's modal. Yeah. It's modal, but I think it's gotten worse in Big Sur. Yeah, I think it has. And I think in Catalyst apps, like if they have any oh. sort of separate window segment, it's not grabbable. Right. But even in like traditional app kit apps, it's, it's been hit or miss. Yeah. Even in Apple's own applications, like calendar would work one way and reminders would work another way. So yeah. that's always been been frustrating. So, so this is this is my challenge, you know, like like in the last, you know, well, it's been getting worse and worse, but it, it hits me only occasionally. So for instance, um, uh, software update, uh, system preferences, software update pane. Um, when you when you if you want to take a screenshot of what the release notes of the next Mac OS one are, you've got this this sheet, and you can't you can't extract it um, programmatically from the system preferences window, and so and it's rounded rects. So if you take a you know, if you just take a, uh, you know, you take a take a rectangular screenshot and cut it out, you get these weird little blobs of of color in the corners um, from the rounded rect. And so, I'm I've just stumbled on an approach in Affinity Designer, I think, which lets me draw a rounded rect and and sort of like use that as a mask. I'm not a graphics guy, so <laughs> so this is this is definitely like the edge of what I know how to do. Um, but I I think that may be my my new technique for getting better rounded rec screenshots out of Big Sur. Um, I was just doing an article where I was like, you know, in preview when you make a signature, you get that weird little popover. Mm-hmm. Well, that weird little popover isn't an object that you can grab, so you have to grab the whole window or the whole screen and then cut it out. Yeah. And then and then edit. So that's the kind of thing that I'm fighting with. Yeah, something that drives me nuts is the the rounded wreck that we've got now. And for listeners who haven't noticed this, I'm sorry I'm about to make <laughs> things harder for you. But starting with Big Sur, they they made the um windows are no longer squares on the Mac. They're they have a little radius on every corner. But then when you get on a laptop the corners are still sharp. And so you have something in a corner and you've got like a little bit of like daylight on the edge of the window. 
that is completely unusable pixels. And, oh, and every I had, time I look at that, it just drives me nuts. I feel like the, the laptops now should actually have the rounded rectangles on the screens, but I don't know. Maybe tomorrow. Who knows? And you're looking at things at full screen on a laptop all the time. I don't do that on the big big monitors, obviously, but right on the laptop, you're going to see through that, essentially. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just ruined it for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. It, yeah. It's, everyone's well, bad now. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you figure all this stuff out and, and it's possible, like, I'll have to talk to Gus Mueller, it's possible that Retrobatch can actually do this kind of stuff too. Um, you know, I mean, that app is so powerful and I so totally don't understand much of what it can do, but, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to look into it because, it, it, you know, it's just frustrating when you want to produce something that looks totally professional and Apple's making it hard. I mean, and it's been getting harder and harder like for the last 20 years. I mean, you used to be able to grab like any object because the Mac, Mac OS used to be much more like object oriented in terms of um, menus and buttons and yeah. things like that. And, and screenshot apps could actually touch all those and see them independently um, and not, not nearly as much so anymore. Well, well, earlier, I want to talk about automation for a second, um, because you invoke the word keyboard maestro. And Repeatedly. Thinking, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I feel like someone like Adam Anks has probably got some really cool ideas about how to use keyboard maestro. Can you share some of your favorite uh, scripts with us? Oh, boy, I, I'm sitting there looking at my keyboard maestro screen. Um, it, it, I have at least, it scrolls at least three windows, three screens full to go all the way up and down. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a ton of stuff. And actually, so remember I talked about using Apple Frames um, to yeah. combine and frame iPhone screenshots? Well, before yeah. we before we had that, we actually had a keyboard maestro approach um, that did it. And it was the same th- sort of thing. You'd select a couple of screenshots um, and then hit a key, and it would... In this case, it would only border them, and we didn't have the the fanciness of the iPhone frame, and then combine them, you know, 32 pixels apart or something like that. And I never went and um, did the... I never did the the Uber the Uber version that would figure out from the size of the screenshot what to do. I it just like, frame. Yeah. yeah, because right because it's like the iPhone six and and six S and seven are different from the iPhone ten, and so I end up having like you know eight screenshot or eight macros for the different ones. The same thing with all the different Apple Watch sizes and stuff like that. So, but you know, in terms of what I do, you know, I'm obviously bordering those graphics. Um, uh, here's another interesting screenshot one. Let's say I cut an iPhone screenshot because, you know, like only the top third of it is useful. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got white at the bottom, like I've actually just literally cropped up, so I'm only showing the top third, um, you, the bottom is white and it's going to bleed badly. So I have a keyboard maestro macro that allows me to paste. It actually pops up a palette. It's my only palette one. Um, I can choose um, a thin black line. Um, a fuzzy line or a fuzzy box. And the thin black line will let me kind of close the bottom of that third uh, of the screenshot. So I get black at the bottom rather than white. And then the fuzzy line and the fuzzy box are for redacting information in screenshots. You know, sure. I need to cut out, a, I need to block out a telephone number or something. So, uh, so you know, that's, you know, and I, you know, figured out like how to, how to put those graphics into a macro so it gives them to me. But probably the thing that I rely on for key, on keyboard maestro for more than absolutely anything else is 
Um, and this is why I will never have a, a laptop with a with a, uh, a track. Um, I'm blanking on the name. Um, the bar at the top. The touch bar. Touch bar. Touch bar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's total... okay. I don't think they're going to make them anymore pretty soon. <laughs> well, that's that's just it. So I have F1 through F13 uh, on my um, my big black DOS keyboard here, and and every other keyboard I've ever used. Each of those function keys is mapped to an app. And so, you know, if I want to switch to my word processor, it's F1. If I want to switch to my web browser, it's F2. If I want to switch to email, it's F3. If I want to switch to my file transfer app, it's F4. And you notice I'm not giving names because, in fact, those change over time. And, you know, so, you know, F3 used to be Eudora back in the 90s. And it has been, but it has literally been F3 since the 90s. Yeah, you know, so that's why you know, and I mean, I, actually, this predates Keyboard Maestro, you know, but I have always used, you know, Quick Keys was was one of the first two apps I ever bought for the Mac in 1990. No, no, not 1990, 1980, 1988. Sorry, um, Quick Keys and Suitcase. So you know, I have been using macro apps forever, and so having keyboard maestro just giving me one button access to the apps that i use the most is absolutely necessary at all times have you played with the because like this i call it setups like doing setups with keyboard maestro because you can have it not only activate the app you can also say you know put it in this position on the screen and open this document or open these tabs have you gone like further down that rabbit hole a little bit um I actually am of the firm belief that all apps should 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 stay on the screen where I put them. Yeah. And for the most part that's true, so I don't have to move I don't have to have keyboard maestro move them. I find that something that's harder these days than it used to be. You know, there's you a know lot the, of apps that the worst the worst uh, offender messages cannot remember its window location. Yeah. Hmm. So I mean, like maybe see maybe maybe it's different for you guys, but like I have messages in the far left of my second monitor or my left hand monitor, and it never opens there. But keep in mind, I reboot my machine, you know, once every two to four weeks, something like that. You know, it's probably when a security update or something comes out, so it doesn't come up very often. You know, I do have a couple of, of uh, macros that will like launch a certain app at a certain time with a certain document. Um, so yeah, there's a few of those. I have a, a macro that um, converts the selected ping to JPEG, um, and that actually that uses a an automator workflow. So I do. There's a certain number of things I'll do in Automator just because it's sort of easier for me. And then I'll sure. have, I'll have uh, have Keyboard Maestro click you know create that. Um, when I look through my list here, what's one of the things I'm interested in is I have a lot of macros that I don't use anymore. You know, that they were important for a while, or maybe they were important even for only one project. And I just never deleted them. But yeah. but they're still there. And, and I'm actually not unhappy that they're still there, because I'll sometimes go back to them and, like, look at the technique I used. Yeah, use it as a starting point for a yeah. new one. Precisely. Yeah. Um, I have a number of um, of timed macros as well that um, set my system up to be backed up properly. So, you know, it wakes it up at a certain time and makes sure the right drive is mounted and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, like uh, I have a macro at login um, every day that, un- that unmounts um, the bootable duplicate because that will sometimes cu- cause uh, that will sometimes cause confusions if you have your bootable duplicate online at the same time as your main drive. You know, one password gets confused about updates, for instance. 
Yeah. I mean, there's just so many different ways to use Keyboard Maestro to, oh, to yeah. make it your Mac. It's, it is an astonishing app. And, you know, and uh, Peter Lewis, and I've known Peter you know, since the, since the, since the early nineties, um, yeah. he's done such a wonderful job of making it deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, and, and, you know, it really, one of the things I like about keyboard Maestro the most, I don't use it as much as I, I probably should. Um, he's got a great, Peter has a great forum and the people yeah. on his forum solve problems for each other. So, yeah. you know, it's like you're ever stuck with Keyboard Maestro, you just ask on this forum and someone will, will like probably just write it for you. They will really help. Um, <laughs> so, you know, because that's, yeah. that's my problem is like I'm really good at, at, at kind of low-level automation and I'm just not a programmer. AppleScript has never been, never been a thing for me. Ever since HyperCard went away, I, you know, like I've been, I've been pining for the fjords ever since. Well, I feel like tomorrow there's a good chance we'll get um, shortcuts for Mac. Oh, sorry. Oh, shortcuts for <laughs> Mac, which really? I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like we may get shortcuts for Mac, and, and that kind of is a HyperCard successor. But I, I don't see Keyboard Maestro leaving anytime soon because there's no way they're going to give us the the access through shortcuts that we get through Keyboard Maestro. No, no. And, and I mean, the fact that Keyboard Maestro, you know, can't be in the Mac App Store because it touches so much of the system at such a low level. No, it's, you know, it's not. And, you know, and That's honestly, a feature, not a bug. Precisely. You know? It's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. And if Apple ever takes that away, that becomes a major problem for me. Yeah, like that's part of the reason why I can't use the iPad, right? So, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by The IntraZone. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, The IntraZone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related tech can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, focus topics, guest perspectives, FAQs, upcoming events, and much more. And the topics for each show are really interesting. Things like migrating to the cloud from your old legacy systems. I think it's my favorite topic they cover, actually. But also crisis management, working remotely, and uh, dealing with cloud admin issues. All really interesting stuff if, if you use these tools, and you probably do. So go and listen to it now. Just search for the Intra Zone wherever you get your podcast. That's I N T R A Z O N E, or click the link in the show notes to check it out. Our thanks to the Intra Zone by Microsoft SharePoint for the support of the show and Relay FM. So WBDC starts tomorrow. It feels like we just had the last one. I'm not sure <laughs> what happened there, but uh, you know, Adam, it's it's fun to talk to you about this because you have followed Apple for a really long time and you've seen the changes in the company and WBC is when they get on stage and talk to developers. And I'm sure in the, the first several years of tidbits, a lot of that stuff didn't come to pass. Just a road of pain through the nineties. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious what you, you know, before we get to specific stuff about this year, like, do you have any reflections on where WBC is today compared to where it used to be? It's so completely different. Um, I have never been to WWDC, just to, just to get that out of there. I'm not a developer. And for the longest time, the WWDC keynote was really for developers. 
mm-hmm. this is you know well before it was uh, it was you know live streamed for you know and they made it you know all fancies for everyone, and so. When Tanya and I used to live in Seattle, um, we lived in Seattle from '91 to 2001. And what we would do for, and we did this for, gosh, four or five years, I think, is we would actually fly down to uh, the Bay Area and stay with my sister who lived there and go to a party. At, at, at the house of a guy named Rick Holtzgraff, who wrote Solitaire Till Dawn. And he knew a lot of programmers, including a lot of the folks from Australia, like Peter Lewis. And basically, there would be, we'd go on basically the weekend after WWDC ended. And so everyone would be completely exhausted and tired. They'd been like living this for a week. And we'd go to this party, and everyone would be talking nonstop about what had just happened. And this was a lot of the, the back then. Apple didn't really get to say, you know, this is what's going to go on. Developers could actually more or less disagree, and and you know, and stuff. And there were you know entire technologies that died on the vine because you know developers like, yeah, that's stupid. Um, so it was the best way to do WWDC because we got you know the unvarnished developer opinion about everything Apple had just said. Uh, sadly, you know that the the. Yeah, we moved, the party stopped happening, you know, WWC changed, and, you know, and Apple obviously controls both the horizontal and the vertical now. Um, So, you know, I do feel like it's much more of, here's your marching orders for the next year. Sometimes those are, you know, more or less uh, gently conveyed. You know, I Mm. think that people didn't really pick up on the 32-bit apps are going away as quickly as they might have. You know, Apple was clear about it, but, you know, man, it wasn't like we didn't have years and for these developers to figure this out. And some of them just never really did. Ended up being kind of surprised when, hey, Catalina's here and your app doesn't launch anymore. So, you know, so that's that's that. Um, I, I will say, you know, sort of from the, 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 the journalist perspective, WWDC is like taking a two by four to the brain. Um, you know, Apple announces so much stuff and you can't even begin to unpack it in the amount of time you've got to before you have to get an article out or four articles out, you know, because they just, it is just nonstop cool stuff announcements. And, you know, as you, I think you alluded to earlier, uh, David, the, it, it feels like Christmas in part because I think WWDC has some of the smaller things, you know, like they'll just, like a, a feature will have improved. And, I feel those are sometimes more important announcements than, oh, you know, we have this major new technology, blah, blah, blah. Because the major new technology you may never use, whereas the feature getting a slight tweak may make your life better instantly when you get it and from then on. Yeah, some of my favorite slides in the keynote are always those word salad slides. Yes. Yeah, you're like, where yes, they'll put yes, up look at that a million one. <laughs> things, and like one of them, one of them will be some little bug that has been driving you nuts forever that is now solved, or just some little additional feature just to get a little of the friction out of your daily grind. And those are amazing. Although thinking back, did we get that slide in 2020? <laughs> I'm not sure we did with the new format. 
Yeah. They've started doing these kind of um, tile slides, I call them, where it's, you know, like 15 or 20 tiles with different features on them. And those are great yeah. for the hardware because it's like this quick overview of what's in a, you know, on a new, on a new Mac or something. But I'm not sure if that they're doing that for the software as much. I think that's really where where I get I, I find this stuff to be interesting, and I and I have to say I also don't really buy into you know people who are like you'll provoke pri- snow leopard out of my hands with a you know my cold dead hands kind of thing. I personally do not find that the operating systems make that much of a difference in my life. Yeah, my life revolves around apps. You know, it's Google Docs and it's Keyboard Maestro and it's you know I'm using Brave on the for the browser now and stuff like that and you know so yeah whatever you know um, big sur didn't really change that much for me i mean it looks a little different um but it did not change the way i interact with my mac in any significant way and a little bit less true on ios the ios side where sometimes those apps are those changes are bigger uh or harder to separate anyway but you know, so I'm almost always happy to see new stuff. Um, you know, I'll choose whether I use it or not. That's my that's my choice. But uh, but I at least I get a choice when Apple announces it. I mean, they they continue to iterate this stuff, and I mean, the Mac operating system. I mean, well, let's consider let's say with Mac OS 10. Let's forget about legacy Mac. Yeah. How long has Mac OS 10 been around? So was it now t- over 20 years? We just did a show yeah. on it. Yeah, and I mean. Of course, it's not going to have the groundbreaking changes that the mobile platforms get every year because it's older and it's already had those. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I do think that you know moving forward usually is a good idea. Sometimes there are mistakes made. You know, they sometimes they try to get too clever about something that makes life harder for everyone. But um, overall, I, I like to see them evolving and growing this stuff and. And I, I, you know, attend. I attend WWC when I can, and just like you, I find I don't. I'm sorry, I should restate that. I I go to the city where WWDC <laughs> is held. See, there you go. Right. Yep. <laughs> so you're going for the parties, basically. <laughs> well, I mean, I, a couple. I'm I'm a lawyer, and I represent a lot of developers. So it's like the one time a year I get to you know have tea with them. And then the other thing is just talking to developers especially a day or two after the announcements, after they have time for things to sink in, you just get so much you know, feedback about what features are making people excited. And yeah. I would argue that um, the developers still have a say. I mean, uh, we have, Steve and I have talked to developers at WWDC that are just not at all interested in some big new feature Apple's trying to sell. And quite often that feature doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. Actually, I mean, I, I think I overstated that. Um, and part of it, part of the reason why is, is that back in the time frame where I was talking about stuff, it felt like that was in the era when there were evangelists, and yeah. you know, and 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 Apple talked to developers sort of more throughout. So it felt like there was more of a feedback loop. Whereas now, I would suggest that you know, developers will simply no, we're not going to adopt that. Yeah, I know back in the day, Steve Jobs did questions and answers on the floor <laughs> yeah. during the keynote. I mean, that was not happening towards the end of his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and you don't see that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, WBC, I mean, they did a great job with it being virtual last year, but it does, you know, you do lose a little bit of that uh, interaction. And I know, you know, like um, I'm friends with Jim Ray, who's the, the guy behind Panorama um, Database. And he was telling me this great story of he had this bug in it was a Mac bug, but it was taking him a, you know incredible amount of time to to figure it out, and he ended up like pinning down the guy at Apple 
at WWDC, you know, in this kind of convoluted story to be able, and they, you know, and ended up working with him for like an hour and a half. And the guy's like, I got it now. I see the bug, you know, and, and the one yeah. was able to go back and fix Mac OS so Panorama could work properly, you know? Yeah. So, but that's and the that, kind of thing. The yeah. Yeah. You know, that's where you need that kind of, um, you know, in-person, in-person feel. And, you know, probably next year we'll get back to some of that, but I have to say, you know, also, you know, it was, it was always sad when lots of people couldn't go. So if Apple can make it more open to people by making it virtual as well, um, you know, that would be a good thing. Yeah, I do think that is a real consideration because not only was it difficult to get a ticket, it's really expensive, you know, to fly yeah. there. And San Jose had figured out what was going on. So the room <laughs> rates had like tripled over the couple of years they were there. And, and you know, that there's like an entitlement there that not everybody has. And, uh, you know, Apple putting a bunch of money into making it available to everyone, no matter where you are in the world. I mean, there is a real case to be made. That's a better way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, so we'll see. I mean, you know, I mean, I think it's a safe bet to say we're going to see iOS 15 and iPadOS 15 and watchOS 8, and tvOS 15, you know, which will have new screensavers probably. So, uh, you know, uh, let's hope there's new screensavers because that's about all we ever get from tvOS, it seems. Uh, <laughs> Not that I'm bitter and twisted, mind you, but um, <laughs> yeah, you got the new remote. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got a mute button. I'm happy. They'll <laughs> yeah. make a new one that has a um, that has a tracker built in. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I I mean, I actually I'm not the sort of person who loses stuff. So I you know like I have an AirTag that I played with a bit, but you know like I'm not I'm not too invested in that, and I don't ever lose my remote, so I'm not. Again, that concerned, but just like seriously, you you didn't get the irony of, of announcing this in the same day as AirTag. <laughs> didn't, I, I was thinking about that. In the, in the, they made a really funny video where the guy like dives into his couch. Yes, yes. Weren't there remotes inside the couch <laughs> when he was down there? <laughs> I, I said you just you just wanted to know. Like, did did no one realize this is kind of looks bad? You just well, I, I, I do think that you know Apple's a very isolated company in a lot of ways, and you do have to wonder. I mean, how much did the new remote guys know about the tracking oh, stuff? Almost, you know? no, I would I would say none, and because the Apple Apple silos everything in a huge way, and so yeah, I'm almost certain that they would have had no no knowledge of it, and so at that point, what you run into is you have to work your way up the org chart high enough to someone who knows that both are doing it. And there's few enough of those people that, you know, it could have just been an oversight. I mean, yeah. literally, you know, where, where oh, right, crud, we didn't think about that in time, and we, therefore we can't put that technology into the, into the Siri remote. I, I would be shocked if they don't have a version in years future that yeah. has it. It would, it would if, if AirTag is a success, yes. I mean, and we'll see. I mean, obviously, there's sort of no way of knowing, you know, until... They say something about it, but you know if they say yes, we've sold you know 500 million air tags um, in the last year, then I think we can bet that you know it's going to be spreading much more more widely. All right, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to use my superpowers to number one put you in Tim Cook's seat, and then I'm going to also give you a time machine so you can go back to last year Whoa. and say, all right, Adam, you love the Mac, you're all in with the Mac. What are the things you want the team working on so when we get to WWDC 2021, we can share it with, with the world? What, what would you like to change about the Mac OS? Wow. That's a great question. 
Well, it requires a chair and a time machine, so it should be a good question. It does. It does. And I, mean, I assume the chair is in the time machine, and it's one of those like yeah. you know fancy ones. But no seatbelt because, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, well, they don't have seatbelt laws in time machines yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's only, only temporal whiplash. Um, I mean, I hate to say it, but but I go back a little bit to what I said before of the the operating system doesn't make that much difference to me. And... I think that what I would do is continue to polish and refine and clean up. And I'm going to say this, is, the word is going to be taken incorrectly, but objectify. So you know how we were talking about, uh, about like screen, screen capture apps not being able to get to stuff? Sure. It feels like Apple's not following the mindset that they used to in terms of like apps being broken into these parts that were understandable and uh, and accessible. So, you know, back to like the resources, you used to have the resource fork and you could go in and edit resources. And I'm not saying we should be able to do that. It's more that the way Catalyst apps, like they're not quite real Mac apps and, you know, the screenshots have gotten harder because they're like not able to get at the objects. It feels like there's this kind of film that's being put over the whole operating system that makes it harder to touch these objects, these parts of the operating system that there's, they must still be there, but we're not able to do it as much. And maybe that's a little bit of what, what like shortcuts on the Mac will, will re-enable because shortcuts to be able to do stuff, will have to get to that. So you're looking for polish more than features really. Yeah. 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 I think that's a legitimate request. I mean, I think a lot of people would agree with you. Big Sur, the the look of Big Sur doesn't really doesn't really float my boat. Doesn't doesn't bother me either. You know, it's sort of whatever, right? And so when Apple says, "Look how much effort we've put into making Big Sur look this way," I'm like, "Yeah, that's not helping me. It doesn't make any difference to me. You're not you're not making it better. You're just making it different." Yeah. Whereas polish and refinement, and 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 let me give a slight additional way of thinking about that. One of my favorite apps in macOS is Preview. I love Preview because it's a surprisingly deep app. You know, you can just yeah. you open a PDF and look at it in Preview, but what people don't realize is, you know, like you can open a graphic and then you can actually edit the graphic in fairly significant ways that are really quite un, uh, unrealized. You know, it can do slideshows. You can open multiple. You know, it's just a deep little app. And Apple has has lost that sense of adding depth to their apps. Catalyst apps are the most shallow apps around. Yeah. And that's well, what I would like design. to see. Yeah. Kind of by yeah. design, but they don't have to be. And 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 that's what bothers me a little bit is I like depth in apps because it feels to me that if you have depth, your surface can still be friendly and attractive and easy to use. But as you go further in, you find the features that that give you something more that delight you in a way that you're not going to be delighted by the face. Steven, how do you answer that question? What if we put you in the time <laughs> machine? What are you mm. going to do? Man, I don't I really don't disagree with anything that Adam said. I think the I think the thing that I would maybe add to that is you've got to really tell a clearer story about the future of Mac apps because right now we have 
AppKit and we have Catalyst. And if you have an Apple Silicon Mac, you have just iPhone apps running around and you have and Swift UI and you have Swift and Swift UI. And if you're a new developer to the Mac, like I don't know that it's super clear where you should start. And I think that Apple's definitely on a journey with that stuff, but I think it could be a lot more clear where we are now. See, I actually have just solved all of these problems. We just need HyperCard back. There we mm. go. Hypercard right. Hyper is where it's all at for the Mac, for the iPhone, for the, for the iPad. You know, you just like it, everything's HyperCard. It's where you start. It's where you end. We're good. Let's move on. HyperCard all the way down. <laughs> I, I, I feel like you guys squandered the time machine because the obvious answer is you say, however many people are working on Apple Mail, we're going to triple that number <laughs> and we're going to pull it out of 1980. So, so that's what we're going to do. So three people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and see, I don't know. I, I might be one of those people. I was like, let's go back and, you know, and like, and send that person over to Reminders. <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's funny. You know, there are certain apps where there is a, a, like a, a developer mindset and and it's and not every app should be for everyone i mean i think this is something that apple in some ways does wrong or the apple has to do wrong because they do believe they have to make stuff for everyone but i actually think that we need choice and you should be able to say this app thinks like me and that's the one I want to use. And so that's kind of my irritation with Apple Mail is that it does, doesn't does think like me, but it does have that kind of personality. And so, you know, it, it it's not like an app that everyone can use where, you know, it, it's like a, it's got all the basic features and, and no more. Um, it's, it's, it's a real personal personality app, but it's not one I like. Yeah. So. It, it needs to come forward. Yeah. I mean, it. I mean, just look at the market for third-party plugins and realize that well, there's a list of features you could add, yeah. or just look at the number of third-party apps in any ca- you know in any category. Yeah, and yeah. the more of them there are, the more Apple can at least come in. On the one hand, they can say, "Oh, we're supporting developers by giving them choice," you know, giving them room. On the other hand, you're not solving their pro- you know so many people's problems. So, you know, there's something there, too. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Go to Indeed.com slash MPU to get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post. AI can do some incredible things, but for most jobs in your company, you need good old-fashioned carbon-based life forms, preferably a brilliant one, preferably as soon as possible. If you're looking for great minds that move the world, you can hire them with Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview. All of that can be done on Indeed. So get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. And only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately. And Indeed skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applicants that meet them. 
According to TalentNest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash MPU. Once again, that's Indeed.com slash MPU. And the offer is valid through June 30. Terms and conditions do apply. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Adam, every time we have a guest on the show, um, we always like to put a spotlight on some of the favorite little apps and services they use that listeners may or may not have heard of. Um, anything on your Mac or your devices that just brings you joy and delight? <laughs> um, yes, um, and and I mean, this is so. Uh, I'm not I'm not clinical or anything, but I have a little bit of OCD. You know, I like to have things a certain way. And so there's a there's an app that I've been using for years, and I don't use it for hardly anything. Um, it's not, not it's a little app that runs on my Mac all the time. It's called Hazel. And I haven't even yeah. updated it in several versions because I, what I really am using it for these days, I, I, I realize this sounds petty, but I don't like the fact that there are two extensions for JPEGs. It can, okay. I, I am bothered by some things being .jpg and other things being .jpg, and I don't even care which it is. I just it's got to be consistent. It drives me up the wall. No, no, JPG is the one true extension. The, it, it, okay, that is true. I mean, I <laughs> that's how they all get edited by Hazel. Yeah. So my yeah. downloads folder, my desktop folder, Hazel just watches them whenever. Um, I, you know, a JPEG shows up in there with a JPEG extension, it fixes it, and. And, you know, <laughs> that's what you use Hazel for. Yes, that's what I use Hazel for. <laughs> um, the other thing that I use Hazel for at various times, um, I'm, I, I, I believe, and because I use, I, I mean, I work with stuff on the internet all the time. I mean, you know, I'm uploading files and stuff like that. So I need to see file name extensions. And, but I'm, I still don't like to see them. I, I realize I can set them to be visible all the time on, uh, uh, on the Mac, you know, but then I have to see dot app for all the apps. And that, feels wrong to me and that bothers me so uh, at various times i have also done something with um screenshots will come in a lot of the time without a without the file name extension being visible and so when then i'm renaming it i'll feel the need to to add the file name extension and so one other thing that i they have hazel do is if it sees something like that it, it will give it a file name extension as well yeah so you don't want dot png dot png precisely precisely yeah. Yeah, can't, just can't have that it's just wrong i mean you know and it's a, I, i've i've used hazel in the past for other things as well you know various kinds of file manipulation file renaming and whatnot um it's a great little app uh and uh, and i really should upgrade to the latest version just because I, I like it so much that it fixes some of these these little little nagging things for me and let's see another app that um is completely different and um, but I've become inordinately fond of is uh, Carrot Weather on the iPhone. Yes, and and Josh Centers wrote about it years ago for Tidbits. But Josh is um he's he has a his he, he has a different personality than I do. And the way he wrote about it was that it was like this you know angry aggressive personality uh, uh you know in your weather app. And I thought, why would I want that? You know that's horrible. Um, and then Apple goes and buys Dark Sky. And it just kind of stagnates. 
I used to really like the Dark Sky app, but it like it doesn't have good widgets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's clearly not going anywhere. So I finally decided to try Carrot um, because Josh likes it so much, and I discovered that it has a nice personality too, where it's actually amusing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so and so I have it on, or, or the ability to turn the personality off entirely, yeah, which yeah. is what I do. Yeah. I, you know, it turns out I like the amusing personality, you know, when it says, hey, I think yeah. I can see the Dropbox cloud from here, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, so, so any of that, it's just, I, I have, and I like the fact that you can tweak the UI. Um, it just feels like everything that you could want to do with a weather app, they've done. And so, um, and I'm pretty weather involved being a runner. So I spend a lot of time outside and, you know, care deeply if I'm going to be cold, too cold or too wet or something like that. Uh, need to dress differently. And, and you live in upstate New York, right? I mean, where, you're, where there is weather. Yeah, weather matters <laughs> where you live. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're in Southern California, I believe, where there is no weather, right? It's like sunny yeah. and 75 well, I mean, the whole time. Some days it's 60 and I got to put a long sleeve shirt on, but other than <laughs> oh, that. Man. It's tough. It's tough, tough world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, carrot weather is another one. Um, and then, actually, m- more recently, um, I've been hearkening back to the the very early days of computing with a recipe management. Um, remember when that okay. was the thing we were all going to do with yeah, our computers? That, yeah. The original database app. The original database recipes. app. Yeah. So, uh, Paprika. Um, I love Paprika. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I use it um, mostly on the iPhone, but obviously it syncs to my Mac and to uh, to my iPad as well. Um, and I like the fact that I can share it um, with, with Tristan, um, my son Tristan, who, you know, like... He want you know he's 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 you know sort of he's just graduated from Cornell so he's an adult now and you know cooking for himself and he like he wants our recipes because he yeah. knows what he wants to make and he needs the recipe and this is a great way for us to you know put it in and be able to share it with him or you know like we make he comes home for dinner we make something nice he's like oh I'd really like to try that you know he, you know the recipe is just in his in the database that he can share um, and you know and Paprika just does such a nice job of of sucking recipes in from um, like I subscribe to Cooks Illustrated so I paid more and subscribed to their web access so I can just, I can download the articles, uh, download the recipes yeah. and things like that. And it does a really nice job of that sort of stuff. So um, that's, you know, one of those apps that I've tried bunches of them over the years and none of them have really stuck, but Paprika has become the one that I've gotten enough stuff into that now it's just like one of my cookbooks and I have shelves of cookbooks. So Yeah, I would argue all three of your picks are best in class. I mean, yeah. like, yeah, the Carrot Weather is probably the best weather app. The, the, there's a funny story. The developer was, I think he was an English literature major. And, no wonder um, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's what he was. But him, I, I read a funny article about him. And he just, like, he just wanted to make an app because he wasn't making any money. And, I mean, he truly is, like, the success story that Apple is always looking for. Yeah. And, but he has put so much work into that. And adding the personality is great. But also, like, the UI innovation in that app is better than any other iphone app i would argue that i've seen to let the user really customize exactly what they want to see yeah i wish all developers would be looking at carrot weather yeah yeah no it's a really nice i mean he's you know to get back to it he's almost created like a hypercard like kit you know, in terms yes. of you can move stuff around and, you know, pick the pick the bits you want and the bits you don't want. And, you know, that was, you know, so you get to create your own little weather app, which is kind of neat. And everything comes back to HyperCard. That's right. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, hey, Stephen, do you, I was just thinking, uh, like, crazy hazel rules. I mean, Adam's got a pretty good contender there. Do you have any hazel rules that, like, just to solve some neuroses that you're just trying to get past? 
think the most ridiculous one I have is I have one that copies every screenshot I make into a Dropbox folder. And so I have a Dropbox folder with thousands of past screenshots and it has saved me exactly twice. So maybe not super worth it, but you never know. You know, actually, I just I just looked, and here's the other thing that that my uh, downloads and desktop folders do via Hazel. And this is the other the other little bit of OCD extension thing. Um, ping comes in uppercased in iPhone screenshots and and yeah. some other things. I hate that. Yeah, PNG. Hate that. Yeah, hate that. So it lowercases <laughs> PNG. Fixing JPEG and <laughs> and PNG. I, I was just thinking, I think I need to get a hold of Sal Segoy and I, I know Hazel can be triggered on an Apple script, but I don't know. If you could write an Apple script that would detect whether a document contains the Comic Sans font, I think it'd be a cool... I'd make a rule that says, if someone sends me a document with Comic Sans, just delete it. It's okay. I don't even need to open I, I, it. I think it would need to play like a toilet flushing sound so you knew it happened. You could do that. You could yeah, do that with a, Apple Script. Yeah I, yeah, I think I need to work on that. Of course, that. now we're back to talking moose and you know, Oscar yeah. the Grouch and everything. So, ah, the talking moose. I love that talking moose so much. See, that's what carrot carrot weather is like. The modern talking moose. I have. You're we have a right. talking moose mouse pad. Yeah. So for listeners that are not of a certain age, <laughs> with the original Mac, they had this great little utility that was a talking moose and. If you go back in time, we were all coming from, you know, operating systems that had zero personality. And the idea that your computer could have a cute little talking moose to keep you company while you're working was really something else. I mean, it was not like just a gag. It was like, whoa, can, you, know, you would call your friends to show them your moose. What was his name again? Uh, well, it was based on Bullwinkle, but is that what you're going home? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I don't think, he, I think it was just Talking Moose. I don't think it was just, yeah. um, and then the, you know, Oscar the Grouch, or the, you know, the Grouch was a Mac hack extension that a guy named Eric Shapiro wrote that whenever you tossed, when you emptied the trash, Oscar the Grouch would come out of the trash can and sing his trash song. Yeah. And then Steven, who was, I'm not even sure if he existed at that point. <laughs> Uh, still has a dog cow tattoo. Tattoo. So I mean, yep. there you go. I have a move <laughs> button. Does that count? It's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, given given to me by a member of Apple DTS. So that's cool. Guy, the guy who the guy who ran FTP at Apple dot com. Well, well, Adam, <laughs> it's been too long since we had you on the show. We are definitely getting you back. Oh, it's um, so much fun. Er, everybody, go to tidbits dot com and check out everything Adam has to say. I'm sure. Uh, this coming week of WWDC, you and Josh and the gang are going to have a lot of great coverage of Tidbits, and I look forward to reading it. Oh, uh, well, thank you so much. Let me tell you about another show here on Relay FM, real quick, David, before we uh, before we head out. That is Clockwise. Host Dan and Micah, our friends, invite two guests every week from a diverse pool of tech professionals to cover four technology topics in just 30 minutes. This show is so much fun to be on. It's so much fun to listen to. So go to relay.fm slash clockwise or search for clockwise wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, Smile, Microsoft, Indeed. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. If you've got thoughts on WWDC, this would be a good week to join in over at the Mac Power Users forums, which you can find at talk.macpowerusers.com. And like Stephen said, we'll be coming to you early this week. So watch your feed. MPU will be back with you in a few days. <laughs>